FMQBs, this is episode 152. Lots to talk about today. Rooster, who are you bringing to the bar to kick things off? Well, I am going to uh, Indianapolis later this week to the Combine to report on behalf of the SMQBs, and I am hoping to run into uh, the Giants GM, Joe Shane. And I want to ask him, are we going with the offensive line, which we so desperately need to fix, Joe Alt or Olu Fashionu? Or are we going to go for some flashy wide receiver like Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze? Uh, the, all would be awesome. But in my view, until you fix the offensive line, the rest of it is a waste of time. So that's what I want to know is what's the plan? I can't believe they'd take a quarterback. They've got $40 million tied up in Danny Dickhead. I hope next they take, year. I hope they take a inside linebacker. House, who are you bringing to the bar? Well, now that spring training is underway, I think I'm going to sit down with our Phillies manager, Rob Thompson. Just ask him to experiment for just, just a handful of games. Take my word for it. Let's start the lineup with Trey. Let's push Kyle Schwarber down the lineup just a little bit. Just, I just want to try it. We don't have to start a guy that strikes out 5,000 times a year and only gets home runs as your leadoff man every year. Just to hit solo home runs. That's who I want to talk to. The bar. Hope. Damn it, House. Every time you go before me, so I'm going to have what? call an audible. I wasn't going to bring the Phillies manager, but I was going to bring Bruce Bochy. You uh, should. Well, I'm going to bring him, and I'll bring in Chris Young, our GM, too. I think I have a drink with both of them. Which one and, of your teams are you talking about? Oh, the Yeah, <laughs> which team is this? Sorry. <laughs> it's like, since when did World, Bruce Bochy manage? Excuse me. The Great. world champion, world champion Texas Rangers. Sorry to not <laughs> confused there. Uh, and we're going to talk about what we're doing about our starting pitching because uh, until DeGrom and Scherzer come off DL June, July, June, maybe August for DeGrom, uh, we're going to have a patchwork uh, starting pitching rotation. And, you know, we have Uvalde but, uh, and Dunning, but we need uh, we need to get Jordan Montgomery back. So I'm going to have a conversation with them about what's it going to take to get Montgomery who was kind of like the unsung star last year, uh, last last uh, part of the year, and then during the World Series. So, Shocked he's not signed by somebody. You should probably have a drink with Scott Boris instead of your manager. Well, yeah. There's a lot of yeah. theories, a lot of theories about why. You know, he's 31. Um, you know, are you going to really sign him to a long-term deal? He's not getting the money he thought he would get, so maybe he takes, uh, you know, a, a, you saw where Bellinger signed, also another Boris client. Maybe he takes a little bit less money, stays with the Rangers for one or two years guaranteed and sees uh, how the market plays out, um, but kind of essentially a one-year contract uh, going forward and seeing how the market plays out. But we need starting pitching, and he's uh, he's somebody who could really fill out the rotation. All right. Um, I'm bringing one Michael G. Rubin to the bar. Yes. You know who he is, House, right? Oh, yeah. The owner of Fanatics. CEO of Fanatics. And he's got some explaining to do from what I could tell. Uh, Speaking of baseball and everything, uh, spring training, probably the biggest story are these uniforms. Uh, And I want to ask some questions about exactly 
EF is going on here and how are they going to fix them? Yeah. Yeah, wizards. So All well, the we, talk. May, we may revisit that at a later point in the show. I, I have a sneaky suspicion. So let's get into it today. We're going to start off with a little March Madness bubble watch. Hope. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> he got choked he's, up. Over he's verklempt. <laughs> <laughs> I made the mistake of trying my bourbon. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> What did it do? Snip one of your balls off? Because it sounds like it sounds like you, your it, voice went uh, out. It. It, hit, yeah. it hit a little. It hit a little hard. Uh, <laughs> bubble watch. Oh, bubble watch. Bubble watch. Bubble watch. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> the reason I have Rick Patino on my background is because uh, I I don't believe that they're on the bubble, but some do on this pod. Yeah. Say, and then St. John's is going to play their way onto the bubble, but you know who played themselves off of the bubble, and we'll talk probably more about the consequences of that game, is Wake Forest. They were forced first four out until Saturday, and then they beat Duke at Wake, which was beautiful, by the way. And then, uh, and then all Not hell really. broke loose. Not all, really. hell, wasn't so all, hell, all hell broke loose after the game, but the game itself was beautiful. Uh, and so Wake Forest, you know, gets off the bubble probably unless they, uh, you know, lose out or lose in the first round, big upset in the ACC tournament. I, I see them off the bubble. Um, you know, uh, Texas A&M didn't do themselves any favors, uh, against Tennessee. Uh, I, it, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, with the major conferences, uh, beating each other up like they are. Um, who who ultimately will make uh, the tournament? But um, you know, House, you'd sent around this uh, uh, list of teams that were close, uh, like Pitt. Uh, I've seen Pitt. I don't think they're an, an NCAA team. Hell, I don't. I don't even know if Virginia is. They are. They they're played awful. Some the yeah, they're horrible to watch. They're basketball. horrible to watch. Well, right now they're a four seed. I mean, they're yeah. they're in the tournament. Yeah, uh, they are. But, but God, they are just—they have twenty wins, and they are just a horrible offensive oh, team. Defense they struggle to score more than forty-five points in a game. Yeah, I mean, they had like six points with five minutes left in the first half against Carolina. Um, so, you know, I I I don't know if we saw a lot of movement. Uh, quite frankly, um, for teams other than ones I'm talking about off the bubble. House, you're watching the bubble closely. What are you seeing? I mean, it's all these Big East teams. I mean, they're it's like, uh, they're just like cannibalizing one another. So right now, there's any number of Seton Hall, Providence, Villanova, Butler, and St. John's all of whom still have a little bit of work to do. I would probably say Seton Hall is the closest of those to being in. And they play St. John's this weekend, right? I think, is it Seton Hall that does it? Because I know Butler's yep. got like, I mean, excuse me, I know that St. John's is something like um, Butler, Georgetown, and somebody else. Maybe it is Seton Hall, but I someone in those losses, like I think Butler has a couple <laughs> games left against some of those teams that's going to clear out all of this the big east i think is 
part of what's going to affect the bubble the most. Um, and you know, it's the right thing to do in that situation, right? Let them all in. You put all the Big East teams in. They don't normally fail that bad. <laughs> right. Just put them I mean, all in. They know up. how to play in the tournament. Yeah. Like this, this Michigan State team is is not as advertised. They were supposed to be, they were supposed to be a very good team this year, and they are having some bad, bad losses now. They They're, lost. They, they won. They, they were ahead of their game against Ohio State for all but six seconds of that game. That's a bad loss. They they were preseason top ten. I mean, are they definitely in? I guess. I mean, they're close. Uh, you know, New well, Mexico. Of course, didn't New the, Mexico just lose to Air Force? Like a seven-win Air Force team? Yes, like a buzzer beater. And, of course, all it takes is one or two teams winning their, their tournaments, upset, you know, going on a run right. and winning in their tournament to to get in that screws the whole thing up even more, right? Like, I mean, Georgetown did that a couple mm-hmm. of years ago where there, there was no way they were making the tournament. And then they went on a run and won the Big East tournament and got in. And it was like, you know, who who got stuck, you know, who, who fell off the bubble because yeah. of that? A lot of bubbles will get burst come yeah. tournament weekend. I mean, I know it's not the bubble talk, but there's been so much discussion about how, like, the, the I guess it's Houston, UConn, and um Purdue, Purdue and Purdue who are locked in as the number ones and then there's, there's like a big big drop off to the quality after that like a huge drop off i think the same thing is going to happen the closer you get to the bubble i think a lot of the it's going to be i'll be impressed for the people that pull off a, a really good bracket this year cuz i think a lot of those 7 10 8 9 uh even the Six eleven, five twelve. They're going to be really, really hard to predict because the amount of parity is ridiculous. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but there's going to be madness. Uh, well, that's for here's, sure. Here's some parity for you: Tennessee, Marquette, Iowa State, Arizona, Carolina, Kansas, Duke, Auburn. In that order, four to eleven, all have records of twenty-one and six. That's pretty amazing. All records of twenty-one and six from the four to the eleven. So yeah, you're right. Nobody's really stepped up for that four seed. Or that four twenty and six, and they may not make seed. it. Well, and here are the odds too right now uh, for the to, for the national champion. If you want to if you want to bet on the national champion, the odds I'm seeing are UConn plus five twenty five, Purdue plus seven fifty, Houston plus seven fifty. Then we go Arizona plus thirteen hundred, Tennessee plus thirteen hundred, and then North Carolina plus seventeen fifty. So you can see, I mean, it's it kind of, at least from the odds point, it it UConn, Purdue, and Houston. Who the hell is buying off. stock? You guys notice that Bison was shaking a little bit before he started to talk about betting. Yeah, that's a little and twitch. Got, Do you see the twitch? <laughs> he was having a little withdrawal. Once he yeah. got into the odds, he he seemed <laughs> yeah. to calm down a little bit. Oof. Oh, listen, you <laughs> pussy! Put the money on something. Milk's a bad influence on <laughs> Hope won't even download the app. He's so afraid of it. <laughs> you know, th- there are some teams like like San Diego State, like Dayton, uh Utah State, even. I mean, teams whose 
RPI is much high, higher. There's, you know, the whole thing about the Pythagorean wins, the wins that they probably should have had relative to competition. There are some teams that could, the, what? Could, the Pythagorean <laughs> wins. It's wow. like another, yeah, yeah. It's another, it's another measure of I life. mean, you got, you got Ken Palm and now he got, yeah, there's a, a ton of them. But the point is like, for example, I did not know until Rooster jinxed them last week when he had UConn last week and last week's discussion that basically UConn doesn't win on the road and certainly doesn't win on the road against Creighton, you know, against top, top teams. UConn struggles against top teams on the road. So uh, some of these records definitely are a little bit misleading coming in the tournament, but I mean, like, you know, who can you count on, right? Like to, to go into this tournament, can you count on Purdue? No, they're going to go out the first weekend. Can you count on Arizona? No, they're, they're out the first week. They got Caleb Love. He's streaky. I, I mean, you know, like Auburn is Auburn a team that's going to win the, the tournament? Nope. I, I don't know. I'm it's still just... trying to figure out what a hot, what a hypotenuse triangle has to do with <laughs> college basketball. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's a new one. What are you talking about? The Pythagorean theorem. Yes, yeah, you're exactly right. Yes, House, Rel- we'll, House, make sure we place our bets. We'll make yeah. our bets against Pope and Phelan. Okay, for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no question about it. We're gonna fill our brackets out. We'll kick both your ass. All right, listen. Right, give, give us right now. Everybody, give a team, you know, to to watch. Just just somebody that you know you kind of want to see what's going to happen to them. They're going to get in. They're not going to get in. Or they're going to be fun to watch in the tournament. Now, mine, mine is Kentucky. Good lord, are they schizophrenic? They, they just totally boat raced Alabama one nineteen to ninety five uh, last weekend, and you know this is the same team that lost to LSU uh, on a buzzer beater, and they're so inconsistent, but they are so talented. Uh, I do not want to have. I do not want to play Kentucky. Watch out. Yeah, I'm sticking with St. John's. St. John's remaining schedule is this Wednesday at Butler, at DePaul, and home against Georgetown. They should win easily their final two games, and if somehow they beat Butler on the road, that gets them to 18 wins, and they're playing at home in Madison Square Garden for the biggest tournament with Patino, the great motivator, maybe obnoxious asshole, but the guy... uh, he can coach. So if he gets these guys, he gets these guys into form, that's going to be an interesting team to watch. They're they're they've had some good wins. Uh, they had a, a a fall back there, which was what led to his spaz out against Marquette, Providence, and Seton Hall. He lost those three, but now they won the last couple two, including a huge win on the road uh, versus Creighton, or no, at home against at Creighton. home at home against Creighton. And uh, we'll see if they pull off these last three. I'm very interested to see if Villanova and St. John's both get to 18 wins, what they'll do. They need more quality wins. I'm going with Tennessee. I hate SEC basketball. I hate, I just hate the idea that they're relevant, but I don't know. I'm very intrigued by the Vols this year. And I, I just think that they could make a pretty fun run. I mean, Rick Barnes isn't necessarily an SEC coach. He's, you know, got ACC chops. So they're a little different team. 
I'm Rooster. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Creighton. I, I I I'll tell you, man. I I watched that whole UConn game, and their center is as good as um, UConn center. He he can be a he could carry a team far into the tournament uh, if Creighton plays well. This I think his name is Ryan Kalkbrenner. He's really good, and the team's well coached. It's got some good shooters on the team. I don't know how the hell they followed up a win over UConn with a loss to St. John's, but I, I could see that team going on a run. And uh, you know they have a lot of stiff competition in the East. They're playing a strong schedule all year long, unlike some of these other uh, conferences where you know teams with good records haven't really played anyone. I I like Creighton. I, I think it's a good team. All right. Anything else on the bubble watch this week? We got a little ways to go, but but uh, you know we'll <clears throat> keep our eyes on this for you. Uh, three weeks from now, we'll be putting our brackets together. Yeah, not long. All right. Unfortunately, um, the biggest story in college hoops this weekend. Rooster, uh, talk to us a little bit about what else happened. Well, at the end of the uh, Wake Duke game, you know. The, this what what's been happening three times a week apparently in the last couple of months in college hoops happened again where the fans were allowed to rush the court and um, Kyle Filipowski was like all the way on the opposite side of the court of where he needed to get to to get off the court by the time he got to half court he was just engulfed in wake fans racing racing across the court and you know it's sometimes fun to hate duke but he this could have been he could have been stampeded he could have been stampeded he really could have been hurt very badly in the midst of that melee um he was knocked down and got right back up but you know he could have been kicked in the head people could have crushed him whatever it's just stupid i think it's stupid um if you're gonna if you're gonna have rushing the court uh you know they're Whatever they've tried to do to stop it hasn't worked. The Big East, the Big 12, the SEC, fine schools for allowing this hasn't hasn't stopped it. ACC doesn't even fine anyone. If so, if you're going to do it, you have to you have to make sure that the players get safely off the court before the fans come rushing in. It's just it's just stupid. And someone I think I said hurt. I think I said after the. Uh, um... Tulane beat someone and they they rushed the court. That rushing the court should be reserved for only beating the number one team in the country at Duke. And I guess maybe I have to amend that now. <laughs> Always Duke. Yeah, you know that. Like I said, if you're gonna if you want to allow your fans to rush the court, I guess go ahead and do it. But you've got to make some provisions for getting the refs, the players, and the coaches out of harm's way before that happens, because it's just not right that one of them gets hurt. I mean, I'll just say this. If you look at the slowed down video of the Caitlin Clark episode and the Filipowski episode, they, both of those players were looking to hurt fans. Filipowski. That's bullshit. What? Got, that is bullshit. What? Got, the dark side. Day. Welcome to the dark side house. Take take a look. Take a look at the video. Filipowski gives an elbow shiver and a trip. If you had, if you had a hundred people rushing at you, you'd be swinging. 
and you just I lost would be. the game. I would be. If I saw all these people coming at me, I'd start swinging before they got there. That doesn't yeah, mean you, I'm trying to hurt. And you turn the ball over with 2.4 seconds left. We've <laughs> taken away almost everything from college sports. Oh my God. Uh, That's from the almost, guy. Why don't you put him in the trunk of your car with the, uh, the other uh, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I will say this. He's a little taller. I got the chance last year. Uh, in a to rush a court thing to rush a field uh after after Tulane made the cotton bowl by winning our conference championship and it's pretty fun i have to say it is a pretty fun exercise to do to do that and just be out on whatever playing surface it is with the I'm players guessing you were wearing a jersey too right i wasn't in that one i di- i didn't have a Tulane football jersey but look college sports there's very very little left of the innocence to college sports it's corporate it's conference conglomeration it's nils it's semi semi pro at this point you can't rush a court in pro sports that much is for sure you can't do that but college sports there's something about you know back in the day at the palestra the they used to throw toilet paper from the top of the stadium down on the court and the game just stopped until they cleared the streamers off the off the off the floor it's it's a fun tradition. There's a way to do this. I don't know how you get security on the players and the refs and the coaches right away so that they don't get hurt. But there's a way to do this than just like all of a sudden be the fun police. And, and I do not want to see the ending of court storming. That would be bad. Well, that's I mean, that's the point I was making is there's got to be a way to allow it and just delay it for a minute until the people can get out of the way. You know, just make an announcement where if, if, if you're going to rush the court, you can't do it until everyone's off the court, whatever. And if you do, you'll be shot in the head. Takes takes away some of the spontaneity though. I I would like to go back to the part about Caitlin Clark trying to hurt fans. Yeah. That's what, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. I I just watched that clip today, by the way, neither of them saw each other coming. The fan was running full steam ahead, didn't see Caitlin Clark, and Caitlin Clark may have given her a little bit of a shiver, but it was defensive. It's like she was about to well, make contact with somebody running full speed. Well, I do wonder if, if there's a way to do this, though. You know, first of all, thinking about where players have to exit courts, right? I mean, it does seem like these teams, whenever there's an incident like this, it seems like the teams are so far away from where they have to go to get off the floor. It like, doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, there should be, I don't know. It seems like that's an easy way to start is to have a very easy close entrance or exit uh, for the, for the players to get them off the floor. I, I, I Listen, I do agree with you that some of the court rushing is like, it doesn't really match the game involvement i mean fine we tulane hadn't beat somebody in the top 10 in forever i don't know they've won a game since but that's besides the point but i mean that i i kind of get that rushing the court but some of them now it's like an 18 team is rushing the court beating a number 11 team or whatever i I do think it's been a little bit overdone on rushing the court but part of why they want to rush the court is they want to be on the court with the players that just got them their victory so getting everybody out of the stadium, the players and the coaches, that's like, you know, rushing the courts, the same thing as like hanging out at the bar later. 
Well, then they need to get a life. All right. Anything else on, on rushing the court? No. Okay. I have some. Yeah. Tell Duke, just don't lose. Then we won't have that problem. <laughs> Is there another Duke UNC left this year? Or no. Oh, yeah. At at Cameron next weekend. <laughs> next weekend. Okay. Well, we want to see you rush in the court, Pope. Let's 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 wait till uh, no. Duke the Dukies aren't going to rush the court if they beat Carolina. They're they expect to. Yeah, exactly. They act exactly. like they've been there. Act before. like you've been there before. Exactly. All right. Um, F one season. It's upon us. Ooh, it is here. Room, room. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's do a quick little quick preview here on this. First of all. Uh, a couple new teams or team names to at least be uh, aware of. So I guess Alpha Tauri is now Visa RB, um, uh, uh, linking up a little more with their Red Bull Cash App. Um, uh, yeah, isn't it? What is it? Cash App? Visa, yeah, apparently they're going to be called V Carb this year. Visa Cash App Red Bull V Carb. Oh, Cash App. All right, so that's the old Alpha Tauri team, and then Alpha Romeo is now. Kick Sauber and and do they still have the? Do they have to drop the stake or something like that because there's no gambling allowed in some places? Somehow I think they held on to it. I think, I think they it's... did too, but there was something like that at one point. Um, suffice to say, that's probably the last we'll hear about either of those teams this year. Uh, yep. So let's move on from there. Okay, a couple lame duck drivers that'll be interesting to watch are Lewis Hamilton, who is. Uh, announced his move to Ferrari next year. So this is his last year driving a Mercedes. And then we have Carlos Sainz, who's losing his seat at Ferrari to make room for one Lewis Hamilton. Uh, so those will be two interesting drivers to watch this year. Carlos in particular, uh, who's going to be looking for a place to, to drive next year. I really think Carlos is one of the top five or six drivers on the grid. So that'll be curious. I think what you're what you're looking at, and tell me if you disagree, but I think there's three people competing for a Red Bull seat. I think you've got Daniel Ricardo, Carlos Science, and Checo competing for Checo's Red Bull seat. Well, what has Mercedes said they're going to do to replace um, Hamilton? I don't know, but they Isn't have Carlos a, 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 an option there. I think he probably is. Um, but they also have some really young drivers um, that that they might be looking at. I don't know. I, I guess that's a possibility. Uh, but I still think that Red Bull seat's going to be the the premium seat. There's a rumor that Albon yeah. used to be racing for them as a right to that seat too down the road. Yeah, so well, he's a good I driver. Think it's even more than that. He is a good driver. I think yeah. it's even more than the folks you said. I think we'll Albon's see. in that mix too. Pope, what do you think? You don't think I mean, so? I, I mean, I, I think Christian Horner would love to put Danny in that seat if he could. I mean, they, yeah. Why? I mean, but I think, why? Well, why? It's like coming full circle. I mean, he he still thinks you know when when Danny did his test. Of course, I saw yes, episode two of season of the Drive to Survive last night. But when when Danny was in uh, the Red Bull, he finished. Uh, his lap as uh, he would have been next to Verstappen on the grid. So I think Christian Horner thinks if you put Danny in uh, a Red Bull, you know, car that he's going to be 
probably better than Checo. I think yeah, Checo's the best available driver. There, there is also there is a a father son type relationship between Christian and uh, and Danny Ricardo. Um, and there, there is if Christian's out at Red Bull, then Danny's never going to get that seat. Well, we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Danny, Danny's his wingman. Yeah, <laughs> but you know it's funny. You you mentioned the, the premier guys that are a kind of uh, in a sitting duck situation this year, but it turns out there's 13 out of the 20 drivers this year are in the last year of their contract. We're going to see a very very different grid in terms of the drivers next year. So this this people are kind of driving for a contract, which should be fun. Yeah, there could be a lot of movement next year. Uh, and one of the things I think could be fun about this year is, is, you know, Red Bull is still, I mean, they're the defending champions. They were dominant last year and you have to put them in a league of their own right now, put an asterisk next to that. Cause we'll come back to something on that in a minute. But after that, Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren, and Aston Martin, I mean, that's wide open. I, I think, I mean, the knock on, on F1 lately has been, well, Max is going to win every race, uh, and we know that. But, man, those teams, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty intriguing this year to see who's second, third, fourth on that on that grid and in the constructors, and can they challenge Red Bull? I mean, if you have four teams that are really close and competing – what does that do to that? That amps the pressure up on Red Bull quite a bit. I mean, it, you know, every week, every track is, every circuit is different. And some of these cars will thrive in different circuits. I think there's going to be a legitimate um, competition week in or race in, race out against Red Bull. I think they're going to feel a lot more pressure this year than they did last year. No, House, you don't think so? No way. I think, the, I think it's a runaway for the constructor. Yeah. For sure. And for Max. And And for for Max. Max. But I do think you make a great point, especially about place number three in Constructor. I I think Ferrari has enough and early returns on that car. I think Ferrari has enough to lock down the second spot. But I think this is going to be really fascinating this year between McLaren and Mercedes Mm -hmm. for that third spot. Piastri was the real deal last year. Lando is a phenomenal driver. I think Lando is a top five driver on the grid and i don't know how hard is lewis going to push it i think lewis cements his legacy if he's the great competitor and gentleman that he is and gives his everything to mercedes in this last year but if for whatever reason he's just not fully into it and he's already like in that ferrari car for next year then i think i really think that mclaren can push for that third spot lewis seemed to be pretty happy after testing with the car Yep. Um, so as long as he feels like he's got a chance to compete, I bet you he doesn't check out because, you know, that eighth world championship is that, that's a big one to, to pull down for him. And he's, you know, he's running out of opportunity. So, all right. And then the last, the last sort of storyline that I flagged, and I think we all know it is, is are these child, these charges against Christian Horner? Um, apparently he's being investigated for some type of, uh, uh, sexual harassment claim. It seems like there's some text messages out there. 
He's denied uh, any wrongdoing. He's not been suspended. He's not been asked to resign. Uh, he's not going to resign from what I've read about it. But if you want to look for a, a way that Red Bull stumbles this year, keep an eye on how long this drags out and what comes up. I mean, don't don't underestimate uh, how important the guy the, at the head of the uh, team is. And let's see what happens. Um, you know, gosh, I was reading some of the stuff about it. And I, I got to tell you, I really felt bad for Ginger Spice. Um, his wife, Jerry uh, Hollowell, I mean, she is apparently devastated, just devastated by this. And he's saying that he didn't do anything wrong and that this is, you know, this is make believe. I, I don't know what the text messages show, but I mean, she's she's not going to be at the race this weekend. Uh, and apparently she's almost like just gone into, into solitary on this, which is, which is really pretty sad. I mean, it, 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 we look at it as a sports story, but there is a human story here too. So, um, you know, that, that's the way that you, I could see Red Bull really getting tripped up though, is, is how long this story stays in the news. Maybe, maybe what, in terms of the, the constructors, but you could be the principal of Red Bull this year and Max is still going to win in my opinion. Probably. I think that's probably, probably true. Although I think I'd be a damn good principal of Red Bull. So uh, that'd, be, that'd be a great story. Uh, yeah. Little, yeah. Little known, little known, you know, trial lawyer out of DC goes from practicing law to becoming a CEO of a major Lasso. Formula One. Yeah. We'd have to, we'd have would, to change it to a bison instead of a lasso. That would be awesome. Right. <laughs> All right, I All right got, what do you guys I, I got a I got a question for you. How many how many races did uh Max not win last year? Was it one? Uh yeah. no. I think it was two or three. Well Checo won one. Did and, and did um, Red Bull not win every race? Was there another podium? Right. There, was, there, there was a um, race. Yeah, there was a, a Ferrari win. All right. So what's think, the what's the over under on races that Max will not win? In other words, Max wins, you know, 20 races, doesn't win four or five. I mean, I put it at two and a half. Two and a half? I think he... That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I don't think he wins as many this year as he did last year. Oh, my God. The car's faster. Yeah. But they're all faster. Yeah, but this one is like... People are in awe of this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, already like, they're already like a year ahead of everybody with this car. All right, I'll well, go. I'll go last year. I'll go four. That's my over under. He won't win. He won't win either over or under four. Well, you he just set the over under. So what are you taking? The over or the under? No, he's he's going to win less. He's going to win whatever. He's, he's going to lose. Yeah. You're going to take. You say he's going to lose less than four. Yes. You know, it's interesting you say that, Pope, because Rooster and I were talking this weekend for yeah. our fans. For our fans. The five of us do, uh, we pick two drivers every single week and you rotate in the order that you pick them. So if you're, if you get to make the first pick in week one, well, then you don't get the first pick again until week six. But what it turned out last year is that every single week, whoever had the first pick just took max and it was an automatic 26 points, so 25 points for the winning the race and the one point for the fastest lap. And so I think to make this 
uh, a lot more interesting to see who's got that racing acumen. We might just scratch out Max as an option. Yeah, so you can't pick Max even with the first pick. That'd be kind of fun. That would curious be interesting. what our fans think. What our fans think. We'll let you weigh in also. Well, that that essentially so, is what Formula One is now. I mean, you yeah, just right. rule Max out, and then let's let's see who you know goes two, three, four, and where they finish with the constructors. Isn't that what Bison's saying? Basically, that's where the interest level is. Well, I think you so. have to. You have yeah. to. You have to find something to be interested in. Otherwise, you know, I mean, if you, if you want to see somebody besides Max win, you're going to be awfully disappointed. Well, but I think I, I and we've talked a little bit about this before. I mean, I think this is a little the nature of of Americans versus um, you know European fans in in sports. Um, there's something to be said for the competition between the teams that are competing against each other. Okay. Right. So like, like we know that, that Williams and Haas are competing against each other, right. To do better. And so that that's that battle. We know that, you know, Alpha Tauri and, and I don't know what, uh, I I mean, um, what's kick Sauber this year and carb are, are going to be racing against each other. I mean, that's the Europeans are much more interested, I think, in watching these individual battles. It's not all about winning. It's the the racing, the competition, who's who's on their own level, especially in a sport like this where there's so there's vast money differences in in who's spending what. Um, so that the battle between two, three, four, and five could be worth watching in, in and of itself, even if you know who's going to win the race. For sure. That's where we are in 2024 F1. I mean, we started watching this during the COVID years. I mean, that, that was when you were having the great battles with Lewis and Max and then the, you know, the, the great race where they went down tied to the, to the last lap. I mean, we're never going to see that again. Yeah, we but have the, to, but we have to be happy with where we that, are. The six years before that or the five years before that Mercedes ran away with it every year. So, uh, you know, um, I mean, and this is what the Premier League is, right? I, not really. It's more sure. This year, but yeah, six teams at the top and six at the bottom and six in between, right? I mean, that's isn't that fair? Every, well, every I mean, year? that's that is true. Well, you could say that about a lot of sports. Yeah, but I wish, it's still fun to watch the games. I wish the the that they could do something to make F one closer to international soccer where you almost could have relegation of drivers or or i don't know what other leagues some something that would make the midfield you know the four through six and the seven through ten i mean other than the junkies like us that are looking at that there's not a lot of intrigue to that there's not a lot of consequences i mean i guess some of those drivers there's some dollars and cents involved but um for me this year, one thing that I, one of my storylines is a weird one, but I just there were too many races last year, at least at least three or four, where they made these guys drive in ridiculous conditions. And I, I hope the FIA doesn't make us the watchers and then the drivers play through driving downpour again. Hopefully they can figure out the logistics of it where it's either delayed enough in, in a certain day or go goes over to the next day, because that was not fun. And it's, I know the drivers hate it. it. It's a real life or death situation when they're driving in those conditions. Well, I think it's going to be a more intriguing season than, than a lot of people think. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in it. It's going to be a fun season. 
I'd like to see him go to figure eight tracks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else on F1? Yeah. Bahrain, kick it off. All right. We gotta, we're going to go to our bourbon review segment. Rooster and House. I think you have some bourbons, multiple bourbons, from what I heard. Yeah, we we reviewed for us. Looks like you did a tasting. uh, We were together uh, Friday night and Saturday night. And Friday night, we went to a really great bourbon bar in Richmond called McCormick's Whiskey Bar. And we our first sponsor. We sampled a couple (laughs) of uh, great bourbons. Um, McCormick's had in stock one of my top three favorites which i can never get anywhere called elmer t lee uh elmer t lee died in 2013 and his company was uh taken over by none other than buffalo trace oh boy it is a very are you on the payroll it's a very expensive version of buffalo trace but the same smooth caramelly kind of flavor so it was delicious and house what what was your first one my first one was the jefferson's tropics which is uh aged in humidity so jefferson's ocean uh has this very interesting yeah we all visited uh recently in louisville and they, they have this very interesting approach they they will oftentimes age their barrels in all kinds of different conditions and they had one that was pretty well known called Aged at Sea, where they put a certain number of barrels out on the ocean. Well, this one, this uh, Jefferson's Tropics, they uh, put like, I don't know, 700 barrels and started on an ocean ship in July 2019, setting sail for Singapore. And they went through crazy severe heat and humidity conditions, which slows down the caramelization of the sugars in the wood and then they released it in 2023 and it goes for about a hundred bucks a bottle so it's a pricier bourbon but it is phenomenal like it's very very easy to drink very smooth to drink super caramel flavored and uh they had that one there and how is that is that different than the jefferson's oceans reserve the different years yes yeah okay because that's yep. just confined in the tropics, not all over. Correct. Yeah. Really, really fascinating way that they they age their bourbons. Um, and allows you to get to a whole bunch of different, you know, voyages that they have for, for Jefferson's. Um, after I was done that, I just felt like mixing it up. And so I asked the bartender for a recommendation. If I like Jefferson's tropics, what else should I try? And he said, Have you had John Bowman. And I said, I'm I'm not familiar with that one. <laughs> so he poured me a little glass of John Bowman. And what's cool about if this I had been more sober, I would have intervened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was off my game. It's very cool. They put they put your glass of bourbon in front of you and then they put the bottle as well. So you can like really take a close look at what you're drinking. So they put the bottle in front of me and I you know, I'm a little bleary-eyed. We had some drinking even before the bourbon bar. And I, I turned to Rooster. And I said, Rooster, I think this I think this bourbon is made in Virginia. Um, and after he was done howling, laughing, he we, we took a look at the bottle. And sure enough, John Bowman bourbon is bottled and made in Fredericksburg, Virginia. It's, it's not often the bastion for, for bourbons in this country, but uh, it's... Okay, you can 
You can go on turpentine. It was pretty good whiskey. Let me tell you, there's the filibuster bourbon out of Virginia isn't bad either. Actually, here we go. I'm not familiar with the game of Virginia. It was horrible. Well, it's not, like it's not distilled by bur- no. by Buffalo Trace, so why would it? Yeah, I right. do. Well, I actually just went back to the standard Buffalo Trace for number two because okay. of course you I figured at that point I didn't need really you're expensive. An old man. No, because you're an old man who just likes habit and doesn't know anything. No, about no. I mean, the glass of Elmer tea was almost like 40 bucks, and oh, yeah, I was hammered enough so that I probably wasn't going to tell the difference on the next one. <laughs> our recommendations to our listeners are grab yourself when you can. It's hard to find. Find yourself a glass of Elmer T. Lee and find yourself a glass of the Jefferson's Tropics aged in humidity. Very good. Yep. All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, punch. Don't call it a comeback. All right. So I got I, I got I to do this. I mean, Sorry. I mean, I love Michael Rubin. Uh, He's, you know, a principal of the Sixers now. I think what he's done overall with fanatics has generally been great. Uh, He's a a Philly guy. I have no idea how it came about that fanatics got its hands on the contract for the MLB uniforms. But what they have done is is absurd. Like, I really am wondering, are they going to fix this by April 1st? And by opening weekend, the 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 pants are straight up see through. <laughs> they're str- they're like if you if you see all these team pictures that people are taking, they're straight up see through. And one picture that was taken of two Cleveland Guardians pitchers, they had different sleeve striping between the two guys. They got jerseys that had a different sleeve stripe. One had a thin stripe, one had a thick stripe that was moved off of the bottom of the cuff. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, but the letters like you need, you need a, like a, a, a telescope to be able to see the letters. So a lot of these guys like you're going to have a hard, well, I guess you don't have to see Soto's name. Cause I guess the Yankees don't wear names. Well, maybe they do on their grays, but uh, you, I think these guys with small, short names, you cannot see their names, especially if there's pinstripes, they're tiny, tiny, tiny. What were they thinking? Or what kind of money were they trying to save? Or what were they doing? I mean, I think their whole idea is if you want to buy a replica. By the way, there was a there was a pitcher, I think, that was a, it was a player on the Mariners. He received his actual jersey from the Fanatics. And the numbers on the back were not aligned. <laughs> and like they were off. And he had to send in an email to the Fanatics, like as like, Saying like, uh, I just received my jersey and it's off. And they're like, oh, we are. They send like a robotic message back. We are so sorry for the jersey. We will be happy to replace it and send you out a new one. What is going on? Bison, do you know anything about this? So what I understand is that they they were trying. I mean, it's literally like uh, the Yankees. Like, like remember the Seinfeld episode where he says like, cotton, we got to get them in cotton. It'll be so much more breathable. They'll be oh, like, yeah. cooler out there. And then they shrink down and nobody can, can remember that that episode. Well, so apparently the the idea is that these are fabrics that are are cooler, lighter weight. They're supposed to be more, um, you know, uh, a technical athletic by 
fabrics than cotton than the old school, you know, cotton uniforms and um, uh, the idea. And so they, because like sewing the letter, the numbers on and the letters on is heavy, they silk screened them on. And so all of this is part of making them, you know, more friendly to the athlete. That's at least the story that they're pitching at this point, no pun intended. Um, but it seems like the execute bit outside because, um, I mean, it's really embarrassing and let's make it worse. Apparently half the teams at spring training don't even have their pants yet. They're wearing pants from last year because they haven't delivered and fulfilled the orders like they were supposed to at this point. This is a total, <laughs> total clusterfuck for both Nike and Fanatics. Because Nike is the is the designer of the uniforms. Fanatics is the is the, I guess, the the manufacturer of all of them. So I don't know what the F happened, mm-hmm. but they gotta do something, right? I mean, this they cannot start opening day. No way. Like no this. way. No way. I mean, doesn't Major League Baseball somewhere in its executives have someone that's responsible for uniforms or whatever else are the hats that they wear? But didn't someone say, okay, let me take a look at the prototype. Let me see it on a human being. Oh, that's great. I see through and see his balls. Like, you know, like you would think, I mean, because it wasn't too long ago that that the teams had their own contracts, right? So like you used to have like Nike making some and. Oh, and yeah. Russell Athletic making some. And I mean, you know, it wasn't under one contract. So now it's all con- controlled by MLB. So, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of punches to throw in this case. Um, and I mean, they're going to, somebody's going to have to just, you know, Rob Manfred's going to have to fall on the sword or something and say, we're completely, this is not acceptable and we're doing this over. Brutal. All right. Any other punches? Someone's got a lasso. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> got a lasso. Um, this is a story about clinging to one's roots, hanging on for dear life, and ultimately succeeding. And of course, I'm talking about the five hairs that are on the front of Tom Thibodeau's head. Where <laughs> uh, that he comes back. Uh, I think, you know, early in this year, in the season, everybody was like, man, Tibbs, you got to shave that thing. It's embarrassing. But they they went on this winning streak until everyone got hurt. And I think the five hairs on his head now are like similar to Big Dom and Philly. We just can't get rid of them. They're, 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 they're a reason for winning. So it's part of the team's juju. And I just think here's the tips, man. He hung on to those five hairs and, and they've become valuable. They've become a, they've become an asset to the team and good for him for not succumbing to peer pressure and shaving those the ridiculous little patch off. Uh, is that a real story yeah it's heartwarming i almost cried while i was giving that <laughs> okay we might have to 
Ben Carson can I ask- lasso uh, <laughs> qualifications for a little while. It's privileges. <laughs> can, I add, yeah. can I add another lasso then? Yeah, yeah sure. I feel like I need sure. to also. Yeah, this. top that, man. Fucking Jason Sudeikis is going to file a piece of defense, you know, order again. Uh, last year, I think we did a lasso, and we get to repeat it this year because returning as champs in the Virginia basketball Special Olympics are none other than the Henrico Hornets, <laughs> led by one Kate Fallon. And I I came to to really drink some bourbon and, and party with Rooster this weekend, but but in the process of doing that, I had not firsthand gotten a chance to watch this tournament of uh, these folks, because it's not just kids. I mean, it's young, old, all on these teams at the Special Olympics tournament, and it is it's an inspiration. And I mean, it is, it is the way sports should be played with teammates supporting one another, uh, very little attention to the clock or the score, just enjoying the game. And yeah, the medals are great. And congrats to Kate and the Henrico Hornets, but it was just fun. I, the first thing that struck me was that none of the players were looking over at the score. They just didn't care. They were having a great time. And they were trying really hard, and they were playing really well. It was great to watch. And that, I think that tournament is what the lasso is all about. Kate may have been the exception to that, though. She was playing <laughs> Queens, We Are the Champions, before the game even started <laughs> hey, on the way there in the car. Yeah. <laughs> guaranteeing, guaranteeing a win to, to house. Awesome. Nice. That's good. That's all right. I, better I, than I, Tom Thibodeau's hair. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully this will top that too. Bison, this is uh, near and dear to your heart because it it actually arises out of the Corn Ferry uh, tour. Oh, so so a, uh, a PGA golfer won his first tour event in Mexico this week. Uh, he two years ago was a bouncer uh, at a club in Los Angeles because he had lost his Corn Ferry tour card, but. In order to make money and stay uh, able to, you know, continue to play golf, he was a bouncer. Uh, in addition to his day job uh, at a at a club in Los Angeles, he was able to requalify for the Corn Ferry Tour. His conditional thirteen, his placement at thirteen last year, gave him a conditional tour card this year, and he converted that with his first win um, on uh, on Sunday. Shot a, a nineteen under even round. Uh, he hit two fairways in the final round, which is the least number of fairways a winner a PGA Tour has hit since they started keeping records back in 1983. So this guy has now punched his card to Augusta uh, two years after being a bouncer at a nightclub. I think that's a great story. Um, also, kind of ish, lasso it to Anthony Kim, who is playing his first, and I will say it, competitive golf on the live tour starting next week in Saudi Arabia. He's been off of competitive golf for 12 years since he had a really bad Achilles uh, injury. Um, He used to be, you know, one of the fan favorites was a Ryder cup star back in 08. Uh, It's good to see Anthony Kim back and hopefully that story will continue and we get to watch it. So just to be clear, hope is giving a lasso to somebody on the live. Let's mark that down. Let's mark that well, date down that's in a, history. He can't get on the PGA tour, so they're giving him the exhibition opportunity 
to see if he has anything left in the tank. And I I applaud him for that. All right. It's easier to do 54 holes in shorts as opposed to 72 holes, you know, walking in the heat. I'm not lassoing anything to do with that fucking tour. (laughs) Note my note my objection for the record. Any other lassos? All right. How about some buzzer beaters? Quick buzzers. As we uh, watch the Jurgen Klopp retirement tour from Liverpool, um, one of the best managers to ever manage soccer. Uh, it was fun to watch Liverpool with most of their team injured on the sideline, playing with a bunch of kids. You know, kids that really mostly are on the bench or on teams that you know they they call up to Liverpool and. Uh, in extra time, they beat Chelsea in a really, really great um, League Cup, the Carabao Cup. So here's a Jurgen Klopp. And I saw a story today that the Cowboys are not going to tag uh, Tony Pollard. And here are the running backs that we could see in this offseason move. This, this is crazy just how much this is a passing league and nobody cares about running back. The fol- these teams don't want the following running backs, really. Tony Pollard, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and maybe even DeAndre Swift, too. What is going on? I mean, that those are like truly some of the very best running backs all football. And the teams are like, okay, you want to leave? Go ahead. No problem. And it's no. not like they can draft somebody that good i mean there there may not be a running back drafted this year until the fourth round i guess the position doesn't matter it's crazy crazy well it's because teams of like the zeke elliott contract sign these guys after their rookie contract to these long-term deals and it's been an albatross around their neck until they could finally get rid of the contract four or five years later they don't yeah. want to do that and they yeah. don't need yeah. to do that all right, I got a I got a buzzer beater here, sticking with the NFL a little bit. Um, the salary cap is in, has been announced. Uh, it is up to two hundred and fifty five million dollars this year, thirty million more. It's a thirteen point six percent leap, and the largest leap in the cap uh, since they started the cap thirty years ago. And thirty years ago, the cap was thirty four point six million. Per team this wow. year it's 255 and of course that doesn't even consider that they can also dish out 74 million dollars on benefits like bonuses retirement packages things like that so the total spend is 329 million per team or Crazy. 10 and a half billion dollars across the league and you know that that's something to keep in mind that they have tv deals worth $126 billion between now and 2033. So, um, Wowzer, that is a lot of money to dole out. Um, that's my buzzer beater. Uh, mine is, I, I want to commend to all of our listeners a recent article in The Athletic about the Black Aces that focused mm-hmm. on my second favorite pitcher of all time who's not a Yankee, Dontrell Willis. Just a oh. wonderful guy. I mean, 
since Mark Fidrich, there hasn't been a pitcher who pitched with such joy as Dontrell Willis. I love that guy. Um, but the interesting thing about this article is it talked about when he was a rookie in 2003, won the Rookie of the Year award. He was only one of five black starting pitchers in the league. And that really hadn't changed a whole lot, um, which is why they came up with this concept of black aces. If you win, if you're a 20 game a year winner, you're a member of the black aces. Before Dontrell won that in 2005, he won 22 games. The last guy to do it to become a black ace uh, was Dave Stewart for the A's in 1987. Mm. I think it was his third 20 plus win season back then. But here's the interesting thing about this article. I forgot how good of a hitter Dontrell Willis was. In his final year in 2011, he was playing for the Reds. He batted 387. Wow. Now, of course, that didn't count because no, he didn't have yeah. enough at bats. Yeah, but sure. He was a he was a hell of a hitter. He really was. So it was, really it's a great article. You should read it. You'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I saw that article. So another uh, quick one is I'm getting ready to go to the combine, and so I'm doing a little research on hits and misses on past combines. And do you know that Tyreek Hill was not invited to the combine in his year? I mean, that just shows you how wrong they can get it. Yeah. That scares the crap out of me. <laughs> Drake, no, I guys, it, well, my, anything else? No, oh, buzz, oh, buzzer beater I have is that with Rooster going to the combine, you need to do some uh, investigative reporting because Peter King is reporting this afternoon that he thinks the Bears are going to trade Justin Fields. So we need we need reconnaissance on that, Rooster. I've I've heard reports that they're going to trade down twice. They should. They have so many needs on that team. Yeah, they get a lot of value for those picks. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you wind up with Caleb instead of Drake. That would be good, Bison. That would be better. I would even take Justin Fields. Yeah, I would too. Junior. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anything else? Have fun at the SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michaeler from Tampa Bay, 
and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.